to our NPR no, taste if we want to. Why don't we do more radio? Have your professor so David Griffith. What were you doing? David? I was at a, uh, uh, we have a big concert here on campus. Oh, when It's is a campus that? concert. It's Friday. Friday. March 1st, year of our Lord, 2019. At what time? 7.30 in the p.m. And what could be so big about it? Well, it's a musical snapshot of the best of the best William Patterson University music department. Wow. It, it features things like percussion ensembles, choirs, a pop band. It wow. features everything you could want. Is there any space between the ensembles? No, there is not. That's the energy. That's the power of collage. Yes. Begins with a C, ends with an E. Leave the last O-L-L-A-G for savings. A-G, that is. It's the only A-G So I'm looking know. forward to that. Is there a admission charge? Yes, you know. There's an admission charge. There is an, an, an admission charge. That is being used for? This is a scholarship fundraiser for music scholarships at William Patterson the University. Ah. It's a tremendous, tremendous so affair for all of us. music business people can get a scholarship? Yes, in fact... Wow, and speaking yeah. of music business students. We have a music business student with us right now. His name is Josh. Hello, hello, hello. Hello, hello Josh. Josh. How are you? Josh I am adequate. Our, uh, Thank you for asking. <laughs> More than adequate. He's our one and out student. That's yes, right. Sir. Duke basketball. This is one and out. That's yeah? right. Because. Josh, why are you leaving us at the end of this year? I have chosen to join the Navy. Join the Navy? We just like the. Um, can't remember them. Village I was going to say, we should play people. the village people. They have a song called In the Navy. Yes, of course. We can sail the seven seas, and our guest is calling in. So, yes, that's very cool. So, you're doing, yeah, there's a lot of great visual work going on. So, as you we are. I am, indeed. I know you're going to come back and see us. I hope so. I hope to pursue um, the rest of my three years. Don't move, talk into the mic. Oh, you're sorry. wiggling back and forth. I am terribly sorry. There you go. <laughs> uh, so, go on, you were going to pursue Yeah, yeah I'm going to. Um, Going to the Navy, trying to do some, um, some humanitarian stuff, travel all around while I'm still young, um, build up my bank account, and come back so I can afford college. There we go. Yay. There we go. Is right. You're going to be in uniform when you come back? I hope so. Well, maybe not. I don't know. We'll see. Boy, I love a man in a uniform, but that's another story. <laughs> that goes way back to your younger days. Hey, we should bring up Ashley Weltner, who's behind the board right now. There's okay. no board. She's just using dials and knobs. Ashley, thank you for your dial and knob work. It's really tremendous. And there are a few levers. I'm not saying levers. I'm saying levers, because suddenly we're in jolly old England with Ashley Weltner. How are you, Ashley? It's good to have you here, Arg. 
That was more pirate than yes, what the jolly is. old England, but jolly Roger, I guess. Uh -huh. So we're going to have a guest. He's going to be on in a moment here on Music Biz 101 or more mm -hmm. on Brave New Radio, campus of the William, University of William Patterson, Jordan Curlin, Brilliant Corners Management, Noise Pop Fest, Treasure Fest. Blah, 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 blah. So he's going to be here. We mentioned Ashley. Go to musicbiz101wp.com. Sign up for our newsletter. You know, we've actually been getting some pretty major dudes because they're mostly dudes who have been signing up for our newsletter over the last couple of weeks. Wow, that's like very people, good. like big shot people in the music industry. For instance, Irving, not Irving Azoff, no. Bob, not Bob Lefsetz. He would never sign up for our uh, thing because he has his own newsletter, and why would he sign up for anybody else's? Man. But some cool people. So you should too sign up for the newsletter. You can also follow us on the Instagram, the Twitter, the Foster Book, that Music Biz One Hundred One WP. We also have this is a podcast, which many of you are listening to right now. How's your day been? We're on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, and others. Mm -hmm. We should give thanks, Doctor Esteban Marconi. Of course. We will first give thanks to the folks at Van Dyne Bruno Inc. and White Hat Management. Right. You see, Dr. Esteban, mm -hmm. with artists like Dave Matthews, Three Doors Down, St. Vincent, and Kith, there's only one place to go for your band's business management. Go to VB CPA.com when you are ready. And, and, and. We also want to give thanks to Christine Vey, a wealth manager and the president of Vey Wealth Management. Christine has helped many of our professionals at the University of William Patterson manage their investments and plan out for their retirement. If you're looking for some guidance on how to plan out for your retirement, or if somebody like you has questions on anything from investments and portfolio management to insurance retirement planning, you should give Christine a call at Josh. Listen. And then repeat. 732-732-455-455-1510-1510. You can also email her, Christine at... Oh, Christine at... Oops, then you stop. Sorry. Oh. oh. Now you stop. Down. Oh. Good. Cut. Okay, very good. So you can also email her at Christine at... Veywealth.com for advisement. Leave the last oil off for savings. That's the only savings we want. Go to Amazon, if you'd like, or Barnes & Noble, if you'd like. They have .com places. Also, the Kindle, Managing Your Band 6th Edition. Mm -hmm. William Patterson, the university, has been ranked one of the best music business programs in the United States of America and Pakistan. And this is the fifth year of our show. This is show number 200, and I think we're close to 210. To wow, 11. Start numbering them, yeah. Yes. So, yeah, have lost count. It's an impressive number. So. But we should begin because the guest is on the air. Am I correct? Ashley Veltner. Is our good friend Jordan Curland there? Are you there, good friend Jordan Curland? Jordan Curland. Jordan? He can't hear us. It's a short show. <laughs> can you hear us, Jordan? Uh, Jordan, can you hear us? Yep. Oh, All right, great. <laughs> we were saying your name, the wrong button had been pushed, so we just heard you take a big oh, sigh. It. it may have been a sigh of relief yeah. of maybe, oh, my God, why am I doing this? But it's great to have no, you. No, no, no. I was, I was, I was, I was doing some, uh, I, I, was, I was answering an email. That was, <laughs> that was the sigh you were hearing. Um, anyway, nice to meet you guys. Yeah, it's great right, to have great. you on the, on the line, Jordan. I'm, yeah, I'm Dave Philp. Uh, you and I have been emailing. Then we have Dr. Esteban Marconi here on the other microphone. Yes, that's me. Excellent. So thank you yeah, so much. Well, a, yeah, well, thanks for having me. Um, it's, uh, it's, uh, I was, uh, I'm, I'm always happy to talk about myself. So, this is great. <laughs> so, Jordan, tell us what insane moment did you mm -hmm. have to make you want to run or start a festival? I think, um, <laughs> you know, I, I wish there was, I wish there was a great story behind it. Um, unfortunately, I'm 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 a pretty measured 
person. I mean, un- probably fortunately, but unfortunately for the purposes of, of, what, of this conversation. <laughs> um, you know, so Noise Pop, I had been work. I didn't start the Noise Pop Festival, um, but I've been working on it since year five or six. Mm-hmm. And... Um, you know, helped to really grow and expand it. The festival that I spearheaded and spearheaded was Treasure Island, which does degree did did take a you know I think a, an extra degree of insanity to want to you know build a festival on a island in the middle of the bay. Right. Um, but it you know really it just came down to feeling like you know at the time that we started it, San Francisco didn't have any festivals of that nature, mm, and there really weren't much even in in the u.s of that sort of you know boutique sized festivals mm-hmm. um and that was really it and it was so it was it was it was more about i think with noise pop and and all the stuff we do with noise pop it's really about super serving the bay area and trying to identify things that are that aren't here but should be mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so when you were first um planning festival on an island did you decide mm-hmm. First, a genre of music that you were going to concentrate on. I mean, what made you, um, I guess, get the impetus that you were going to have a crowd? People were going to show up. Well, I think I think for us, we you know because noise pop is really rooted in you know indie rock. Yes, of you course. know or independent you know and it grew into ind- more independent music, you know and and um, so we we knew that that was going to be the point of view. You mm-hmm. know, it was never the goal to have. The Red Hot Chili Peppers headlining on Saturday, right. and you know, you know, whatever other right. you know big act on Sunday, um, we kind of fell into the formula of you know Saturday being more electronic dance oriented. And keep in mind, this is you know 2007, what you know before the real you know EDM boom mm-hmm. took took shape. So having an all day electronic or dance oriented festival was was a pretty novel idea. Um, and, and then Sunday, it just landed that, you know, Sunday felt, you know, that's, I mean, basically we, we came up with two headliners that, you know, fit the bill, no pun intended. So, um, we just built it out around it. We mm-hmm. said, okay, well, Thievery Corporation's headlining Saturday and we'll, so we'll have that be more of a dance oriented today and Sunday's going to be Modest Mouse. So that's our indie rock day. And I mean, we did feel like, you know, we weren't sure if the marketplace would support, let's say the shins headlining Saturday and modest mouse headlining Sunday felt like might be, you know, cannibalizing, you know, the days might be cannibalizing one another. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And did you, you obviously sold the package ticket though. Yeah, we did. We did. We did sell a two day ticket and, you know, single day tickets and, you know, most years, you know, we, we have, you know, we've, we've, we've had good success with, you know, the, the two day ticket, but, you know, frankly, I think our festival more than most, relies on single-day ticket sales. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think we're also seeing just a trend in the festival business right now where people are, are buying single-day tickets more mm-hmm. than they are, you Could, know, full festival. I, you know, not for every festival, but I think we're seeing that more and more. Yeah. Can we talk, let's talk about just the festival experience right now because it's mm-hmm. changed and, and you could probably talk about this much more, much mm-hmm. better than I in terms of, yeah. you know, maybe it used to be more music and now it's more built around the experience coachella for example mm-hmm. the kardashians yep. are there i want to go there because the kardashians and yep. get my instagram picture like that um are you seeing that with yep. your festivals and what kind of cultural change have you seen over the years no i mean i, th- I think for us you know i i think i mean Co- coachella sort of its own its own entity at this point mm-hmm. you know and that 
you know, where it's situated, you know, a couple hours outside L.A., and there's such a celebrity culture around it. You know, I think that, you know, in, in a way, not not experience-wise, you know, I mean, there are probably almost more similarities between Coachella and Burning Man at this point. Not, not what the music is, but just, like, mm-hmm. that Instagram, you know, p- part of the the culture to it. Um, you know, I think, you know, festivals in general, and what I say to people who are, you know, thinking about launching a festival, which is happening less and less because, you know, we certainly as a country have hit hit a level of festival fatigue, understandably. Um, you know, I think festivals need a point of view. That's the most important thing. Like you can't, I mean, yeah, if, if you're, not to say you can't just try to launch a big, you know, big festival with big artists in a, in a city that doesn't have it, but I just think for what people expect now and because there are so many festivals around the country, you, you just need to make sure you're doing something that's going to, you know, feel different than everything else that's out there, you mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. And I think what we're seeing, you know, with these, and I, I know I'm kind of diverging from the original question, but, you know, I think what we're seeing with, with the festivals that are successful, you know, going forward now, um, you know, you've got like the Hangout Festival, which is a very unique location. You've got, uh, you know, obviously you know, Coachella and, and I mean, I look at the blue chip festivals of, you know, Coachella and, 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 and Lollapalooza. And I think you put outside lands in that category at this point where you're looking at, you know, upwards of 60,000 people a day and it's just going to sell, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I think outside lands is more lineup contingent than Coachella or Lollapalooza. Those seem to just sell out. Um, but, you know, I think everything else, you know, people are, are more discerning. You know, I think you've got you've got real challenges with destination festivals like Bonnaroo because um, people don't need to. Tr- you know, when Bonnaroo launched, you know, it was a it was it was really geared towards more of a you know the jam band culture, and it slowly you know they were very smart about how they slowly integrated other genres of music, but people were willing to travel because there wasn't a festival in everyone's backyard. Now there's a festival in everyone's backyard. Yeah, yeah, so to speak. So you suggest. Um, uh... Go ahead. Were you going to finish? Oh yeah, yeah. No. So, I, but I think, you know, I think for us the biggest challenge is just festival fatigue. I mean, there's so, not so much here. I mean, there are more festivals in the Bay Area than there used to be, but just in California, you know, a, a, alone or on the West Coast. And it used to be a real strategic advantage for us to be at the tail end of the festival season um, because, you know, you could pull from a different set of artists than the ones that are playing. You know, over the spring and summer, because you have the new fall releases, so it might be the first time coming through, um, and it just kind of stood out. You know, you had all these festivals over the summer, and then there's kind of a break, and yeah, you had Austin City Limits, but now it's just like there's a festival every weekend, you know, and, mm-hmm. and there's multiple festivals in California in the fall, so it's just, it's, 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 it's just a lot harder. Yeah, you know? with, with and, all these festivals, do you uh, require a radius clause? For your artists, we we do require radius cars. It's not as aggressive as some other mm-hmm. other ones, but yeah, we do. I mean, you have to, you know, because yeah. you gotta, you know, if you're trying to convince someone to spend, you know, whatever, you know, seventy, eighty, ninety dollars, you know, you you can't, you know, there, there's a lot of issues that go to, into it. You know, you need to make sure. I mean, for us, we really try to really because we only have thirteen artists a day. You know, we tr- every artist has to count. You know, mm-hmm. not that. Every artist, not not the festivals at fifty or sixty acts a day, should 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 put any less care and attention into it. But when people are having to decide they want to spend a hundred bucks to see thirteen acts, you know, if they could see three of them, you know, separately, that that's a big impact. You know, that's 
you know, almost a quarter, you know, what, that's a little less than a quarter of our, of our total talent. Right. Now, do, um, because there are so many festivals, do, do is corporate on board? I mean, do they see the, the pluses for them in general? Yeah, they do. I mean, I think it takes a certain type of, you know, sponsor. We, I mean, to me, and it's easy for me to say it because it's my festival, but like, we, I think, you know, I mean, obviously there's going to be some brands that want to just, they just want to be a part of the biggest and the best. And they're going to say, okay, I'm going to sponsor, I'm going to put my money at, you know, I'm going to put my money at Firefly because there's going to be 60,000 people there. Mm-hmm. You know, I think for us, like what I always, you know, I don't, I don't sell sponsorship, thankfully, but, um, you know, for us, you're talking about, you have a much more captive audience. You know, there's a lot less going on. There's a lot less distractions. You have a, and it, yeah, it's smaller, but you're going to, I think you're going to impact those people more. And, you know, it's more of a tastemaker audience. So I, I think it really just depends mm-hmm. on the brand, mm-hmm. you know, and what they want to accomplish. And I think, you know, some brands understand it more than others, you know. Right. It could be that's, a selling point. than everything. Yeah for, yeah. for some brands, it is a selling point. They realize they could spend less. You know, they're not going to spend as much. Right. And they might, you know, and they're going to get to, you know, more of a tastemaker audience. Mm-hmm. So Noise Pop, if I'm not, if I'm correct, is happening right now, the Noise Pop Festival, correct? It, 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 it is. It, it, it is. Indeed. There's a there's a happy hour show going on as we speak. So I'm not at it. Can you, <laughs> I, I was going to say, but you're on the radio with us, so we feel extremely yep. special at the yeah. moment. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that's only at the moment. As soon as you're off, we'll feel like losers again. <laughs> but right now, yeah. we feel like a million yeah. bucks. Yeah, um, yeah it's well, great. <laughs> thank you. So, but your festival, I guess, would be different from a Coachella. Yours is, I guess, the more, I don't want to say local or regional festival. In that, yeah, well, it's, no, it's, no, it's, it's noise pop. But yeah, like, so noise pop is a small club festival. Yeah, that's what I mean. And, yeah. Yeah, noise pop is more in the vein of, you know, South by Southwest in the early days or CMJ, but without, it doesn't have the heavy industry focused. It really, you know, is more about celebrating, you know, when it started, really about, you know, when Kevin Arnold, who's the founder of Noise Pop, my partner of the, on, the, on, the, on, the, on this business, when he started it was because in San Francisco in the early 90s, you know, it, what was really happening musically was more around, you know, Primus and bands of that nature, mm-hmm. um, you know, was, and there wasn't much attention being given towards kind of a pop punk scene. Um, this is, you know, granted right before Green Day broke and all that stuff. So he put together a show of, you know, with the Fastbacks and Chicks Dig It and the Mises and, you know, just kind of some, you know, kind of indie pop punk type bands. And it grew from there. Um, that is still the core of what we do. Mm-hmm. And we, we obviously now we've adapted. We have a lot. We have a fair amount of hip hop, you know, neo soul, whatever. It's really more about what the about the you know independent spirit or approach to the craft than it is the type of music. Um, but approximately fifty percent of all the artists that play our festival are local, mm-hmm. you know. And depending on the year, it you know some are headlining, but most of them are supporting and giving them an opportunity maybe to play a venue they wouldn't normally get a chance to play or with a band you know, national or national touring artists they wouldn't get normally get a chance to play with. Um, but we've never tried to be like, you know, we, we, we have a fair amount of people from the, you know, quote unquote music industry who come up because they want to see music or maybe they're interested in a band or whatever, but we've never been an industry focused. It's really been a fan focused mm-hmm, mm-hmm. festival for the Bay area. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay. And the treasure festival, uh, is it treasure, yeah, treasure, treasure Island? Island? Sorry, treasure Island festival. Yeah. When does that take place? 
That's in October. Okay, Rocktober. Yeah, Rocktober. Rocktober. Yes. Now, the, yeah. you're yeah. Uh, getting getting off festival for a couple of minutes to your yeah. management firm. Basically, yes. um, your genre is what, or do you spread out? I mean, I think we, we spread out. I mean, again, like I'm a little bit of a one trick pony. I mean, we're we're definitely indie rock yeah, <laughs> oriented. Yeah, I mean, we, that, we obviously, of course. Yeah, I mean, we've been. I mean, there's been more diversity or different types of artists over the years. I mean, the first artist I ever managed was, you know, a guy named Matt Nathanson, who, you know, he and I went to college together, and he's more in kind of the, I mean, for lack of a better word, kind of the aware records sort of folky, pop folky stuff. And we worked together for a long time. I mean, that's how the you know, but I think, you know, as a company's grown and we've, I mean, we, what we do well is manage any rock bands or artists that kind of mm -hmm. come from that space. So I wouldn't, certainly wouldn't call Tori Moi or Fanagram any rock artists, but they have that, you know, they, there's a lot of things about what they, they came from that world, mm -hmm. you know, they, um, so that, that's certainly what we, you know, kind of, you know, specialize in. It doesn't mean we wouldn't be open to managing something totally different. But it would have to be the right thing, and we'd also have to, you know, feel like we could do a good job with it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the reason Matt Nathanson and I stopped working together after 18 years was because he felt like he wanted to go in more of a pop direction. And, um, you know, that's not my core competency. So, now we ask managers um, this all the time. Can you mm -hmm. manage a band that you don't particularly like their music? You can. I mean, and there's a lot of people that I think there's a number of managers that do. Uh -huh. You know, that's not how I operate. That's not to say I wouldn't, you know, but it's not to me the reason I wanted to be a manager. You know, going back to when I was, you know, I figured out I wanted to work in the music business when I was in college and going back to when I started doing in internships and stuff. Um, the reason I was drawn to management is because I got to pick who I worked with. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. I got to... You know, I didn't, I, 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 it seemed to me there were only really a couple jobs in the music industry where you can do that, A&R management, mm -hmm. you know, were, were the ones that really came to mind. Um, you know, whereas, you know, if you're working in a record label and you're a publicist, you're going to work on whoever is signed in, and signed to the label and assigned to you as a publicist. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, of course, if, you know, some big artist was looking for management and they weren't my favorite band in the world, but they made a lot of money, you know, you have to think about it mm -hmm. and say, okay, is this something, you know, you look at the other parts of like, am I going to learn from this? Are there, what are the, you know, this might be a really great learning experience. There might be some really great challenges involved. And, you know, there's enough money coming in that, you know, we can hire an extra person that we've been wanting to hire, you know, so it's like any business, but, mm -hmm. you know, gen we don't have that, you know, generally we, you know, we, we're really just drawn to things that we really love and believe in. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, you interned in San Francisco? No, Los Angeles. Well, I interned in New York and uh, the Los Angeles. Ah, area. so you were over um, here. Yeah, I was, um, yeah, so I went to college in outside L.A., right. Hitler College, which is in Claremont. Um, and I started booking shows on campus and writing reviews of records for the school paper. Uh, when I figured out I wanted to try to make a life, you know, try, try to work in the music business, my, <clears throat> I interned for a summer in New York at a management company. And then I, my senior year in college, I, I drove in LA a couple days a week and I interned at Geffen Records mm -hmm. during a really great period of time. It was the fall of 1993. Mm -hmm. So 
Yeah. You know, In Utero came out. The first Counting Crows record came out. Um, I mean, Guns N' Roses, a spaghetti incident. I mean, it was a big, that was a big, you know, very, very. Yeah, they were hot. It was a very, yeah, very hot. So I, so I, so I did that. And then I interned at a smaller label, Imago Records, who had Henry Rollins Uh and Amy Mann and, Uh you know, to get that experience. Um, But I figured out, you know, my senior year that I wanted to try to be a manager. Mm -hmm. You know, that's what I thought I was most equipped for. And it was most exciting to me. Did you meet Bill Graham? I never met Bill Graham because I moved here after he passed away. So I moved oh, wow. here in 1995. Ah, uh, oh, two yeah. years. Too late. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I I moved here. I, my first real job out of college was answering phones at ASCAP. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the typical get your toe in the door. Um, I had to go on four job interviews for that job, mind you, but <laughs> because it was really a feeder. You know, you do that for six months a year, then you become an assistant and then, you, you know, yeah. um, but three weeks into that job, I got a call to come up and interview for, um, and that was in LA and I, I, I got a call to interview for a job in San Francisco working for a management company and my old boss who, um, who is a lovely individual who I still keep in touch with, uh, David Lefkowitz, he was managing Primus and the Meldons and, uh, Charlie Hunter and some other, he had a really interesting roster and I was a big Primus fan at that point in my life mm. and it was exciting and I thought it would be cool to come live in San Francisco for a year or two um, because it was such a, you know, there wasn't much of an industry here. I mean, there still isn't, but I thought I'd have this experience of living in San Francisco for a year or two and then go back to LA or go to go to New York and have had a unique experience of learning a marketplace that most people didn't spend time in. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just, you know, here I am, uh, 24, almost 24 years later, <laughs> I haven't left. So <laughs> it's become a really unique experience Yeah. for, uh, so, yeah. Um, what's interesting is, so you had your own company, you had, you had Zeitgeist for yep. a number of years, and then it was about yep. 14 months ago that you yep. merged or created a new company called Brilliant Corners yep. Management with uh, like Alex Cadvan at the time from Lever and Beam yep. and um, yep. Josh Rosenfeld. So can you kind of explain um, why you made that change? You know, how, how long that took for you to, in your head, say, I want to join with other guys and then sort of what the what? actual business aspects were of maybe dissolving one company and creating this other? Yeah, of course. So I, you know, that I had been talking that had been an idea that would had been per- percolating for almost a decade. Um, the idea of creating uh, a, you know, a, a, you know, not like I wouldn't say like the antithesis to red light or, you know, mm-hmm. or live nations management, you know, but something that was, you know, how do you, you know, growth and volume uh, with more of coming within more of the community that I'm uh, that I come from, and um, I had you know I, I it started honestly the idea came when I was approached by you know I was approached approached by going to you know Artist Nation back in 2007 or 8 initially you know which was when Irving Azoff was running the you know um, so I think it was Frontline at that point but I um and I just kind of kicked it around had conversations and over the years. You know, I kind of kicked the tires on doing a deal with Red Light or doing a deal here. You know, I'd get approached. I'd have conversations. And it just never felt right to me, never felt right. Like, even if it felt right to me, it didn't feel like it was going to really benefit my clients that much. 
you know, it just it didn't seem like the the trade off was that was worthwhile. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, finally, I in you know I started a conversation I think 2010 or 11 with with Botch and Alex Cadvan about you know what eventually became Brilliant Corners, and we we talked about it. We we met for a weekend and discussed it, and then it just kind of got shelved for a while. And I, I brought it back up again in around 2014 or 15. Um, the idea of felt like the right time, you know, felt like I had and, and took a while to put it together. And, you know, we launched the company, as you said, about, you know, 14 months ago. Um, you know, unfortunately, there were some, you know, roster changes, not on our side. Um, but, you know, Botch decided to leave the management business and focus on, you know, focus, you know, back and dedicate all his time back to Billions, this booking agency and, you know, Alex decided to, to go to red light because, you know, he wanted to try something different than he had been doing. Um, you know, we're all still very close, but, um, you know, now the partnership, now, now the brilliant corners is kind of a brilliant triangle because it's, it's, uh, myself and, and Josh Rosenfeld still and, and, and Joe Goldberg, who's worked with me here for over 10 years, we're the, the three partners, but the goal remains the same. You know, we, we do want to add more managers to the equation. We do want to, you know, grow this. Um, you know, we want it to be, um, we want to be able to share resources and, and, uh, and, um, you know, kind of provide a home for more independently oriented managers. Mm-hmm. That's interesting because you compared yourselves and I, and I was going to ask about that and I'm, I'm glad you brought it up, for example, to red light or artist nation. Um, there are probably yeah. some people listening who don't understand what that is and what the purpose mm-hmm. of sort yep. of this collection, like a uh, corn Capshaw mm-hmm. who runs uh, red light, right. why he did that. And you're kind of doing that on a similar scale, but right. a smaller, but more focused yeah. on a different, you know, on a specific genre of music. Can you kind of compare what you're doing to them and, and what the purpose is and, and the shared services that you can offer and all yeah. that kind of stuff? Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's, you know, as the business has changed, um, you know, record labels don't offer the same resources that they did 20 years ago. And um, I think the Internet, you know, the, the, the connectivity of the Internet has been such a, and so my artists, so many of my artists would not be where they are without the Internet. Um, you know, Death Cab would not have become a, you know, the, the six, reach anywhere near the level of the success they have mm. without it, you know. Um, but, you know, as the, as the business has changed, Labels are not as well staffed um, as they were, so a lot of the artist development comes down to the manager, which means the manager is spending more money on staffing. Um, you know, which it 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 it's it's tough. You know, we're a commission-based business, so you know, it doesn't whether I have three people here or thirteen people here, you know, my commission structure doesn't change. Mm-hmm. So, um, what you're seeing is, you know, you know whether it's whether you you actually have access to them or not at these larger companies, you know there there are a lot of resources provided. So, um, you know you want to keep up with the Joneses, so to speak, right? In terms of so when you're going after a new client, you're able to have a similar level of resources. But then there's even more importantly, you want to do the best job you can for your client. So that's a this is a long way of saying, you know, by by having more managers and having more artists, you you know you can, it's more justifiable to 
to bring in some of the resources that I would other way, otherwise shy away from as a, as, as a smaller company. Um, you know, and there's definitely a safety and numbers thing too, you know, with this business, you know, you want, you, you know, there is leverage is a real part of any business and certainly the music business. So, you know, having a roster of, you know, more artists that are recognizable or relevant or whatever is certainly helpful in terms of, you know, getting people to return your calls or, you know, negotiating, you know, festival slots or, you know, anything else that goes on in this business. So, you know, that's, that's, that's really it. And, and, you know, I don't, I would never say anything bad about, I think, you know, Corin and the team at Redline have done an amazing job building that company. And I have so many friends over there and incredible managers, same with Artist Nation, same as C3 Management, you know, some of these bigger companies, but it just never felt like the right fit for, for what we do. I mean, we are so, we, we always have been and remain so carefully curated, you know, it just never felt right to just insert that into a roster of a hundred artists, you know, um, and again, I just didn't, if I felt like it'd be a huge benefit for our clients, that would be some, that'd be one thing, but I, I, I never, never really saw that being the case. Mm-hmm. We, so I don't we, know if that was a good job of explaining no, it. That, so, yeah, that's, yeah. I mean, you wonder sometimes like Irving and, and so on, when they just keep buying, buying more managers, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. you know, a lot of times like a Silliman did with, um, you know, what, what had become live nation, yeah. but he built it up to sell yeah. it. And, yep. and when they get that big, who are they going to sell it to? I no, mean, you course. know, they are the biggest yep. unless yep. some corporation out of the blue like an access industries or something would come in and, and buy it mm-hmm. just because they think it's yep. cool. So it, it yep. you know, it's, I think you have to look at the mission statement of what, what you're doing and, and stay yep. with it. Uh, and if yep. it gets bigger and it gets, and you get richer, fine. But to yep. just continue to build it, I, I would just think that someplace, some acts must be feeling slighted. When it's when yeah, of course, and, and you know what I found too is is that you know, you know, being, you know, the type of company we are and who we represent, you know, that's a real positive for some artists, and it's you know, and but some artists do want to go to, you know, mm-hmm. they look at it like I want to go to the biggest and the best, you know, and they go, you know, mm-hmm. and, and we can't, you know, it, that's, you know, you, you just don't, it, it's that's all depends. You know, I would definitely say we've gotten meetings with some artists because we operate the way we do, and we haven't gotten meetings with some artists right. because of the way we right. operate the way we do. So, um, you know, it's really, to me, it's about, at the end of the day, you know, it's about how do we do our job best, which is how do we serve our artists the best, mm-hmm. you know. And, um, you know, that that's that's ultimately the impetus behind, you know, why why we merged and why when, you know, We've been really, really happy with all of it, um, you know, and it would have been very easy to just unravel the merger completely and just say, well, we'll go back to being zeitgeist and doing it the way we did it. But um, I'm still really excited about about building this, you know, building this thing and slowly bringing in more managers and bringing in more artists and doing it in a very methodical, you know, thoughtful way. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, we, so we have a student with us named Josh, and Josh uh, is going to read a question for you that was tweeted into us. Hi, Jordan. Okay, How are you? Great. Hey, Josh. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you as well. I have a question from Amanda Rolan. How do you find balance mm-hmm. between cultivating a personal and business relationship with your artists? That is a very good question. Um, 
I, uh, I, you know, the artist, my relationship is different with every one of my clients. And, um, I think for us, we do try to cultivate more of a, you know, not to sound, you know, you know, cliche, but like we do really try to present ourselves as more of like a, you know, family business. And our, a lot of our artists, our friends, even if they don't, didn't know each other previous, they, 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 they meet when artists come through, you know, other bands come through town. We try to really push that forward. Um, so I think, you know, my relationship with, let's say, you know, the guys from Death Cab, who I knew for five years before I even started managing them and was friends with them, is, is way different than, you know, an artist that, you know, and those guys are more in my age group, right? You know, they're all in their early 40s. I'm, I'm in my mid-40s. And, you know, then an artist that's, you know, you know, a younger artist that we pick up, you know, that, that, that dynamic is going to be a little bit different. But I think ultimately, I think the thing, um, like any good manager is going to represent an artist the way they need to be represented, um, and you're going to establish that relationship in a way that works for, for, for both the artist and the manager. You know, I think... You know, sometimes you do run a danger of becoming too close personally um, with your artist, you know, with a client. But I think we do a good job of, even with our artists, that we do have more of a French, you know, what I'd say, like a real friendship with. Um, I think we do a pretty good job of keeping it professional, keeping not blurring the lines too much. Mm-hmm. Now, now, you mentioned with Death Cab that you knew them for five years mm-hmm. before you started managing. I, you were managing mm-hmm. other artists while you knew them before you managed them, correct? Yeah, correct. So I man, I met them. There was a few years where CMJ was trying to do other CMJ type events throughout the country. I don't know if you guys, but, you know, there was one called North by Northwest, mm-hmm. and I was up there because I had two clients playing. And someone, a friend from Seattle, said, "You have to go see this band, Death Cab for Cutie. They're great. They just put out self-released their first, you know, yeah, I don't even think they were signed to our suit yet, but maybe they were. Um, they just put out something." something about airplanes and I went and I tried to see them, but I was late (laughs) and uh, my girlfriend at the time, who was now my ex-wife and close friend, uh, (laughs) went and bought a CD, uh, from Chris Walla, who death caps, former guitar player. And they started talking and turned out Chris was a big fan of a couple bands that I managed who were playing. And then we all kind of got in touch and, um, I put Death Cab on some, I booked Death Cab's first two shows ever in San Francisco, actually. Hmm. Um, and, um, put them on some tour dates with an old client of mine and then we just became friends and they were self-managed and I would see them when they came through town and, you know, or maybe I'd run into them at South by Southwest. And, um, when they started to look for a manager that really, because of who they are, the type of people they are, they, that, that went a long way. You know, I was definitely not the biggest manager, I mean, by a long shot, or I should say by a small shot, <laughs> you know, I was just not, you know, I was, you know, I'd been managing for a while, but I hadn't had any real success. You know, I, I, I at that point, it really felt like, hey, I'm a pretty good painter. I just need the right canvas, you know, and um, thankfully they gave me a shot to, to and, it, and it's worked out. It's worked out well. How much day-to-day managing are you doing now, and how much are you kind of overseeing the vision? And you have other people who are doing the in-the-dirt day-to-day stuff. Um, I mean, it's a mixture, and again, that that varies from client to client. I think there's some stuff like what I do for Death Cab definitely is probably more involved than a lot of, you know, some of our other clients. 
I know everything that goes on. We have office meetings. I'm copied on every email, um, you know, but we all have to, you know, I'm fortunate now that we have, you know, what we have a, we have a, there's six other people in the office here. There's two people in New York. There's, you know, like we have a staff, so I don't have to, I mean, I have to worry about every detail because ultimately the buck stops with me if it's my client, but you know, kind of what I do for other, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, I, I, I try to separate myself to a point where I could think on a higher level and not get too caught up in the details. But I think as a manager, you just, it's just not how it works. You know, the most, most managers are just wired in a way that they're neurotic. They're very detail oriented, you know? So as much as I try, I'm going to get, I'm going to get pulled into the weeds on some things. Mm-hmm. Um, but we have a very close, you know, communication system within here, within my office. And, you know, um, it's, it's, you know, I'm, I, I mean, I might not be aware, aware of every small detail of everything that's going on with every artist, but I generally, I have a, I have an, I, I have a general sense of everything that's going on. Now, you've been managing Death Cab for, excuse me if I'm wrong, roughly 20 years, correct? Um, not quite. Not so quite? This is year 16. Year 16, so, okay. Um, yes. Still, that, that's, that's still a really long time. So I'm curious, what's your recipe for longevity with a band? I think you just got to, I mean, I, I'm really proud in, of, of, I mean, I think the thing I'm most proud of with this company is how long-term our relationships are with, I mean, I've been managing, this is year 12 of working with Bob Mould, mm-hmm. year 12 of working with Sheen Him, year nine of working with new pornographers. Um, you know, we, we, we have long-term relationships. You know, we, 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 I, I, the recipe for us is we're always looking for career artists. That doesn't mean every artist becomes a career artist, but that's our, you know, that's what we're looking for. And, you know, the, 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 the I think, you know, the manager artist, manager client, however you want to say relationship, should be the most trusted relationship that an artist has. Um, it is our job to enact what the artist wants. It is our job to try to advise them on on things, you know, to be the business end of the creative entity, um, you know, bring opportunities, that opportunities, bring them to them, discuss them, share our point of view. But ultimately, they have to make their decisions because it's their legacy they're protecting, right? If something doesn't feel right to them, even though I think it's, even if I feel like it's not the right decision, I still have to respect it, you know? Um, and so I, you know, I, I, I think that you know, the secret to longevity is just being a good manager, being honest, you know, putting the artist's needs above everything else, you know, not, not, it's, it's, it's really pretty simple, like work hard, show up and be honest, you know, and you make it sound um, so easy. (laughs) I mean, well, I mean, I mean, listen, there's a lot involved in anything, right? Like, you know, when I was, so I was 31 when death cab hired me and I had told my, at the time, my wife that when I turned 30, like, I'm giving it two more years in San Francisco. Like, at the end of, so they hired me in 2003. I was like, at the end of 2004, we're either moving to L.A. or New York, or I'm going to do something else, because I'm now in my early 30s, and I think the year before Death Cab hired me, I made, no joke, like $13,000. It wasn't always that dismal, <laughs> you know, and thankfully my wife had a, a she was working she had a good paying job, you know, well-paying job. So I was able to do that. But, um, you know, it, there's always luck involved. You know, I can't, I didn't sit here 
when Def Cap hired me, they they were selling 50,000 records, you know, on Barsook. That was immediately much bigger than anything else I was working on, both in terms of the record sales, the size venues they were playing. But it wasn't like I was walking into this situation of, here's this household name of a band. And none of us expected so many of the wonderful things that happened on Transatlanticism to happen, you know. Um, you know, and and... and of course, yeah, I feel like I contributed to that, but a lot of it was timing and a lot of it was luck. And, you know, I was prepared to be in that situation to help them grow. Um, so, sorry, I feel like I'm off on a little bit of a no, tangent. I don't, fine, don't really fine, know where yeah. I'm going. Hmm. Yeah, but I just feel like, you know, it's it's there is so much luck that's involved in this business. I know a lot of very talented music people who had who left, you know, because, you know, during the downsizing of the early 2000s or the, you know, they lost their jobs and they weren't able to find another one. They worked in publishing and they worked for a record label and they, you know, mm -hmm. now they're selling estate or they're working in restaurants. And, you know, it's, it's a bummer because they were really good people, you know, who, who really cared about music. Um, so, you know, I can't, you know, I, you know, I, I don't wake up every day. Remember how lucky I am that I'm still doing this because it's, it is still, some days it feels like a job. Some days it doesn't. Some days I want to be here. Some days I don't. You know, but I, I recognize that I don't know a lot of people who decided what they wanted to do at age 20 and at age almost 47 are still doing it. You know, mm -hmm. and I feel so I feel very, very fortunate about that. One of our uh, friends of the program is Paul Sinclair, who you work with at Atlantic mm -hmm. Oh, Records. yeah. And, yeah, yeah. Um, I love Paul. He says hello. He didn't say he loved you, um, but you know, he, he said you're. Yeah, I know that's fine. Well, he's not too. He's he. How can you be a record label person and love a manager? Right. So it's <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's that's very true. Um, he yeah. suggested because I uh, he knows yeah. that you're on the air with us, and he. Uh, yeah. I said, what do you want us to talk about, Paul? And he suggested we talk about the transition for Death Cab for Cutie from uh, indie to go into a major label. Why make the move? Yep differences between Indian uh, major label for you and how's it going with Atlantic? Um, you know, it's interesting. I was thinking about this recently because when I started managing them, when they first started out, you know, back in 1997, 98, they had some major label interest and then they decided not to go that route and stay on Barsook and, you know, the records they've released, you know, Transatlanticism was, was their fourth record and, you know, at the time that record was being released, at the time they hired me, which is about six weeks before the record came out, they were already being courted by majors again. And they were saying they didn't particularly want to do it. They were they would take meetings. But, you know, what happened is that record so far exceeded everyone's expectations. I mean, even from first week sales, you know, I think the first week it sold 15,000, 14,000 records. Mm. You know, I remember sitting in the old Barsook Records office with, with, uh, three of the guys and we're all playing the, you know, guessing what first week sales would be. And I don't think anyone was even had guessed even half that much. Um, so, you know, music was really changing then and, or, or what popular music was, right. You had kind of, it was kind of transitioning from, you know, the, the white stripes, hives, strokes, and, you know, it, it was like indie rock because of a number of factors um, you know, I think Amazon, Apple, you know, iTunes store, sorry, this could be a really long answer. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to roll up. I'm going to step back a sec. Indie rock was able to reach more or independent labels were able to reach more people because of, 
because of what was available to them with iTunes and Amazon in particular and pitchfork, the pitchfork effect and the OC and Garden State. There are all these things going on that were really pushing indie rock into a much bigger, onto a much bigger stage, no pun intended. And with Death Cab, for about almost a year, off and on, there were meetings with major labels. And did they want to do a deal? Did they not want to do a deal? And, you know, it just kept, transatlanticism kept going. Modest Mouse had that huge hit with Float On, um, you know, which made it seem like, wow, like this could really happen for a band who started around the same time and, you know, put out a number of records on, on an independent label. Um, and then, you know, it really came down to looking even historically at other bands from the independent music world who didn't, you know, when the door was cracked open for them to t- try to take the leap, who didn't take it. And then maybe their career stalled out, and then they tried to make that leap, and it was too late. And we all just felt like it was the time and that they had put four records out. And if it didn't work out at Atlantic, they could always go back to Barsook, and hopefully there wouldn't be any damage done. You know, they could just go back to being who they were. Um, so, but it really, those guys, the Death Cab guys are all incredibly smart and incredibly thoughtful people. And they understood that, like, if they were going to try to go for it, this was the time, to, that was the time to do it. And thankfully it all worked out. And the, they made a great record. And Atlantic was very, very, they really followed our lead on a lot of stuff. You know, they didn't try to push us too hard on things. I mean, they pushed us on some stuff, but they really tried to, they knew it was important for the band not to feel like, to, to you know, that there was some, some trepidation and they wanted the band to grow at a pace they were comfortable with. So, I mean, we made some decisions. Like, we didn't, for example, you know, when Soul Meets Body was, you know, a big hit song at, you know, alternative radio and AAA hit radio, we decided not to cross it to pop radio, you know, because we felt like, the band was still getting established at what were going to be their core formats and crossing into pop might be pop might not be a good long-term decision. And Atlantic supported that decision, you know, which a lot of labels would have, a lot of labels would have really pushed, you know, I mean, if you remember modest, not float on crossed to pop, you know, so I'm not saying that was good or bad for them. I'm just, you know, I think you, you, they, they expected some of the more, um, they, they expected, uh, they respected our decisions and um, didn't try to treat everything like with a blunt, like try to solve everything with a blunt instrument. You know, they, they, there was more intricacy and they, they respected that. So, um, so here we are 15 years later almost. Um, and I've, it's been a really great, fruitful relationship. You know, we extended the deal a couple records um, back in 2014, I think. So um, we still have one more record on Atlantic after this one. Maybe, you know, might end up being more. Who knows? But um, it's been a really, really great run. And Atlantic is its incredible that so much of the team that was there when we signed in 2004 is still there. You know, mm-hmm. um, there's been so little turnover there. And, and you know, there's been not... some key... Sorry, go on. Yeah, oh, Sorry. Sorry. There's been, you know, some key people have left, you know, but it, for the most part, it's incredible that so many of the people we started there with are still are still there. And I, I was going to ask, in, in your genre of music, you're still putting out, especially with uh, Death Cab, for example, you're still putting out albums. Is there any yep. thought next cycle to 
just instead of doing a full album in 2020, for example, you put out three singles in February, two singles in April, a single in June, you know, kind of the, the drip methods, put it out as you get it done as opposed I, to the full album? I don't think, not with, I don't think that would ever be, you know, Death Cab's always made, you know, whether it's albums or EPs, mm -hmm. all their releases tell a story. You know, they all, they all take the listener on a journey. So I, I would never say never, but I don't think that would be the case with them. I think with other artists, you know, we've worked with there certainly is that, you know, that, that can make a lot of sense, you know, where you're not, you know, where you're putting out five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 songs. And then that becomes the release eventually, as opposed to the inverse of it, you know, but I, I don't think for, I think most of our artists still want to make records, you know, even if it's a lost art form in a lot of ways, or it's, 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 it's geared towards a smaller community. A lot of our artists still want, still want to take a listener on that journey. And they want the collection of songs that make sense uh, in a certain order and right next to one another. Yeah, because you are in a different place with, with this genre, yeah. basically. Because if you're hip-hop, yeah. hip-hop's about, yep. you know, I thought of it tonight, let's get it out, you know. Um, yep. Get it out right away. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, like, Chaz from Tori Moi has another project that he's been working on with, with um, Jason from No Such Thing. We haven't released anything yet, but when that when that comes out, it's very likely that that'll be a single, mm -hmm. and then another single, and you know, um, it's because it, I, mean, I don't know that for sure, but it's just such a different, it's a different world, yeah. You know, and how 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 music is released and how music is consumed. All right, well, Jordan, you've you've been out of this world. Oh, because, oh well, thank you. Yeah, because <laughs> we have to end. I actually, if we yeah. could, this would be a six-hour show because we just we'd have you on all night. <laughs> Because there's good stuff. Yeah, well, thank you. No, thank you so yeah, much well, for being on. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I really enjoyed it. I appreciate it. I appreciate you having me on. And and uh, if you, uh, you know, like I said, I like I, I like hearing myself talk. So if you want to have me back at some point, just let me know. Look at you that. Have a last minute cancellation. You need me? Yes. <laughs> All um, right. Cool. But yeah, yeah, a pleasure talking to you guys. And and uh, and uh, hope hope to speak to you again sometime soon. Thank you very Great. much. Pleasure was all ours. Thank all right. Okay. Take care. Bye, Jordan. Great. Bye, bye. I like him very much. Yes. He's a wonderful man. <laughs> that was good. That was good stuff. Very good. So who do we have on next week? Next week we have Marcy Allen because... Oh, snowed out. We forget that we were snowed out last week, so next week is Marcy Allen. The week after that, we will be on assignment, and so that show is going to be a repeat of the Jordan Chalmers show, who we had uh, him on a couple weeks ago from Correct. Atlantic. We only have men named Jordan on the show. That's after that, that. Uh, Michael Jordan will be on. <laughs> and then, um, but then we have uh, Glenn Barrows, the COO, Chief Operating Officer of Concord Music well, on March right. 20th. the end of the month, right? Yeah, yeah. So we got some great stuff coming. So, Josh, thank yeah. you very much for, oh, for being you. here. This was awesome. Yeah, I know. You, you got to say a little something. He asked his own question, then he had a follow-up, which very that. few student hosts do. So thank right. you very much for that. Right. I had, to be honest with you, actually, I had a lot of questions, but I know I don't want to hog up your time, you know? I mean, so I hogged yours. I apologize, oh, kind of, but not. Thank but then uh, <laughs> we need to thank Ashley. I think we need to give uh, warm embraces to Ashley through the airwaves. So thank you, Ashley, for yes. all of this. Sending virtual podcast. hugs. Yes, the virtual e-hug and right. dr stavon thank you so much thank you so well, much um, oh. you're in such a thither 
I'm glad you were able to make it tonight. I rushed over here, and I made it just in time to be with you to spend because this hour with my there is a big concert on Friday. Friday, March 1st, William Patterson University, Shea Center for the Performing Arts Collage. Get there now. We got to go. Ash has given us the high sign. So, at the end of every show, we do not say hello. That'd be silly. Wouldn't it, Ashley? Yes, she nods. She knows that'd be silly. So, at the end of every show, you know what we say, Josh? What? We say, and then scream it with me once you hear it. Adios!